amazing grace How sweet the sound That saved the rich like me I once was lost But now I'm found Was blind but now I see And I got a peaceful, easy feeling I know He won't let me down Cause I'm already standing on solid ground was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed and I got a peace for easy feeling I know he won't let me down cause I'm all ready standing on solid ground when been there ten thousand years bright shining as the sun we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun and I got a peaceful I know he won't let me down Cause I'm already standing I'm already standing Yes, I'm already standing On solid ground Amazing grace Ooh, How sweet the sound Ooh. Well, good morning Hope everyone is doing good this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us on Daylight Saving Sunday. So you guys, that's right, you get some extra Jesus dollars for being here on time, right, for that working out. I thought we voted against this. Didn't we outlaw Daylight Savings? 
No? Can somebody give me an update on that? No? Okay. All right. It's all good. Thank you for being here. I'm telling you, it is absolutely gorgeous outside, and it is an honor to have you here in this place. And whether you're joining us in the, in the building or online, um, it's, just, it's just fantastic to spend this time together. Uh, we've got a great service planned for you. Kat Seiler is preaching today, and she's got a great message for you. I'm telling you, it's incredible. Um, are you guys ready for a great Sunday? I invite you to be able to stand. And um, let's start the service off by praying the Lord's Prayer together. Let's do that. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we are so grateful for mornings like this where we can gather our hearts together. Lord, whether we're sitting in this building or whether we're, we're watching online, it's amazing how your spirit just can do a work inside of us. God, as the people of God gather, there is something powerful, something profound about your presence where you know exactly what we're walking through. You know exactly what we need and you are God. And so Lord, we just set those things down today whether they're little or whether they're large. God, I know you have a, an understanding that, that brings bearing on all of them, but today we focus on you. And God, we know that there's something about today that you're gonna teach us something new. You're gonna prepare our hearts and you're gonna draw us close. And so I pray that that work would be done. God, we love you. We trust you. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Man, we're so glad you guys are here today. Um, I called the nine o'clock service our responsible service. So you guys are the ones that are here. You made it. Great job. Um, but we're so glad you guys are here. Um, before we get started in our, uh, our time of, of singing, I just wanted to, uh, to encourage you guys with something that I heard recently, that, um, that when we love something or when we find joy in something, um, the natural response, kind of the bubbling up of that is, is praise and sharing. So like, for example, I love my mother-in-law's chocolate cake. And so every time I take a bite of that cake, I'm like, oh man, this is so good. But also I want to tell other people about it and tell them like, man, my, like I'm telling all of you guys, my mother-in-law's chocolate cake is incredible, right? And that's exactly what worship is, is when we're confronted with, with these truths about who God is and, and what he's done for us, our natural sh response should be to, to praise and to share that with others. And I think corporate worship, singing together on a Sunday morning is such an excellent opportunity for us to, to blend both of those things together, to, to praise Him, but also to lift that up with the people around us and, and share in that joy and that love. So I just encourage you to, uh, as, as we sing these things about God and about who He is and what He's done, that you just you tap into that joy and that love and that adoration for Him and, and just let that overflow into, uh, into song. Amen? sorrow and dead in my sin lost without hope with no place to begin your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began and ash was redeemed only beauty remained my orphaned heart was given a name My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance 
when death was arrested my life began oh your grace so free washes over me you have made me new now life begins with you it's your Chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom. He canceled my debt. He called me his friend. When death was arrested in my life, he Christ is with us because of his sacrifice. You and I are standing here this morning 
and we're able to lift up the name of Jesus in freedom, freedom over fear, freedom over death, freedom over sin and shame today. We are his sons and his daughters. Can I get an amen for that? I'm so thankful for that. I want to read a scripture before we start this next song. Galatians 4, 6, and 7. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son, Jesus, into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You are a child of the King this morning. We all deal with struggles. We all deal with uh, challenges, but we know that Jesus Christ is the answer. He is our hope. It does not mean that he is some magical being that's just gonna wipe all of our challenges away. What it means is that we have someone there that when we face temptation or when we face those challenges, he walks alongside us, amen? And we don't have to live in fear. Freedom, it references something that means that that you have to be in bondage. If you're set free of something, it means that there was first that bondage. And so Christ is the one today that sets us free. As we sing this next uh, beautiful song, I just encourage you, listen to the words. Know that it's the power of Christ living inside of us uh, that helps us to overcome those things. We are no longer slaves this morning. this morning. We just invite you into our hearts today. Do a work in us. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears Oh, 
us so much for the challenges and the struggles, the things that sometimes in our minds we just can't get past certain things and they just hold us back from really having the kind of relationship that you desire. And so I pray today as Kat comes to deliver the word, open up our hearts, God, just to receive all that you have for us. We know that the anointing is here and it's very real. We know that you're going to move in a special way, so we want to be a part of that. Do a work in our hearts today, whatever it is that you want to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everyone, so much for singing. Before you're seated, we like to greet our neighbor around here. So turn around, find someone to greet. Welcome again. If you're online, this is a great time to go get something to drink and meet us back here real quickly. People matter to God, every single one of them. Jesus was born for people, lived for people, died for people, conquered sin and death for people. As we prepare to celebrate Easter, it's time to let people know this day is for them. This is our calling, our commission. The power of the resurrection has changed our lives, but it's not meant to stop there. The life-changing love of the cross, the unquenchable passion of the grave, the unbeatable power which rolled away the stone is meant to pierce the hearts 
love people. This Easter, don't keep it to yourself. Step out, reach out, speak out, and invite. Everybody's doing good this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today on this beautiful Sunday morning. My name is Scott Verano, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor uh, to have you in this space or to have you joining us online. Uh, we're excited about Easter. I believe it's April 9th. Uh, we're going to have four services this year, though. We're going to add a Saturday night service to try and spread the crowds out a little bit because it's always chaos, right? Um, so we're going to have lots of options, lots of opportunities for you to be able to attend, and we're just looking forward to that being an amazing, awesome uh, Sunday as that's coming up. Um, let me tell you a little bit about community life. So here at Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And our hope is that when you discover the source of life, that you will do everything you can to share that source of life with all of those that are around you because we believe that Jesus has something to say about every single thing that you're walking through. And so if there's anything we can do for you as a church to walk alongside you, I, plea, I pray that you please give us an opportunity to be able to do that. So um, a couple quick announcements today. Um, the first one is about Vacation Bible School. So Kristen opened up registration about a week and a half, maybe two weeks ago, and she already has over 500 children registered. Yeah, that's a woohoo moment unless you've not registered. So, <laughs> so the max is 700. Um, preschool is already full. So if you have preschoolers and they're not registered, make sure that you go ahead and get them on the waiting list. That list will open up and she'll find more space because that's just what Kristen does. So um, if you want to register your children, um, there's two QR codes on the seat in front of you or if you're online, it's on the screen. Uh, the QR code to the left is an active QR code. It'll take you to all things that are coming up in community life and you can go ahead and register that way. So make sure that you go ahead and get signed up for that. Also, ladies, if you're looking for a way to connect, we have our IF gathering coming up really soon. And so we have a group of ladies out in the lobby and outside that are going to be able to help connect and get you, get you hooked up with that. And then two neat things that we're doing, starting two new interest groups. So if one of our keywords is connection, we're trying to find those ways for you to, to make those entry points into getting to know and to build community. We have a paddleboarders group and a motorcycle riders group coming up. So if you fit into either one of those categories, we're not going to ride motorcycles while paddleboarding. But, but anyways, there's two groups. Stop out in the lobby. Check them out. Uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun, all the cool things that are going up. It just gives you a way to get to know some other folks and start to build that community. Amen? All right. So we are in this series, um, our Easter series, called Amazing Grace. And what we've been doing is going back into Scripture and discovering the God of amazing grace. It's clear to us that Jesus his death, burial, and ultimately his resurrection was, was God's greatest display of grace, amazing grace, if you will, in our lives. But did you know if you go back into Scripture, starting in the Old Testament, you can discover that grace over and over and over again. And so we did that in our first week. We went to Genesis chapter 3. What might have been the darkest day in human history, we discovered the God of amazing grace. God that decided to cover the nakedness, covered the sin of Adam and Eve, but then as he moved them out of the garden, he helped them to start on a journey where they could discern this situation that they got themselves into, that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so as they were trying to figure out this good and evil, they didn't have the resources or the ability to discern correctly. And so what does God do? He starts them on this journey to process and live rightly in that. And so you see that grace start. For me, that was the beginning of the journey to the cross. And so that was Adam and Eve. And then last week, we talked about Abraham and Isaac. 
When God reaches out to Abraham and says, I want you to take that most important thing that you have and I want you to give it to me. And so through this process of, of preparing his son for the sacrifice, God intervenes and says, uh-uh-uh, I'm going to be the one that provides. And so we learn about Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God, our provider, and we discover the ultimate form of grace in Genesis chapter 22, which was a foreshadowing of the passion of the Christ. If you go back and you read Genesis 22 and you think of the story of Jesus on the way to the cross, you will see so many different similarities. And we discover in Genesis 22, amazing grace. And so today we have a special treat for you. Um, Kat Seiler is going to be preaching. Will you guys give her a round of applause as she comes up? Kat is our director of discipleship ministries, and so she has the challenge today of bridging the 2,000 years between Abraham and Isaac and getting us to, to John and Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and one more thing I need to say. Um, like, some of y'all are looking at this podium, and you think, like, I'm giving her a smaller podium because, you know, I'm the senior pastor, and she's not. Uh-uh. She, yeah. Here's the deal. If I made her preach behind that one, she'd have had to stand on a box. So Kat has her That's own true. podium, and you'll I go do. wherever you want, right? I do. It rolls. That's good. It's on yeah, wheels. It's so she'll show up and preach wherever you want her to preach. Amen? Amen. Kat, good. get after it. This is an awesome sermon, y'all. Get ready. All right. So 2,000 years. 2,000 years since the story that we talked about last week. 2,000 years, God's people have been trying to figure this thing out. There's been kingdoms that have risen, kingdoms that have fallen. God's people have started understanding, and then they run away. God's people kept trying to get it, and then they kept missing it. And the whole time, God was with them. He brought them out of slavery, and he was with them in slavery. God never left his people, but after 2,000 years, and that's some radical patience, guys. That's some intense patience. I'm a parent. That's a lot of patience. And I have to think about God, you know, as, as, as the great father that he is. And as a parent, I, I have to wonder that if, if it didn't get to a point where it was like, we, we've got to change the approach? Because after 2,000 years of this yo-yo effect of like, oh, we almost got it, and then no, we don't, God was like, let's, let's, let's change it up a little bit. Now, as a parent, I've had all sorts of wonderful experiences, and my kids are seven and five, um, and I know I have so many more experiences to come, but um, trying to teach my children lessons uh, to just get them ready for life. And one of the things that we try to teach our children is, is, you know, like when you do something wrong, there's consequences. And so we tried to teach our children this idea of timeout. Well, they weren't getting it. They would just sit there and laugh and it, it just, it was, it was not working. And so my husband came up with this brilliant idea of like, hey, I'm gonna go hit Sammy with the pillow and see if Noah will put me in timeout. Him, not me. And so, so he, he goes over and, and bops uh, Sammy with the pillow, and Noah's like, oh, daddy, you got to go to timeout now. So Noah, like, runs him over to timeout, and then Wes is in timeout, and then he comes out, and he apologizes, and we demonstrate to our children what the intention is. And so where we're going to begin today is kind of at this moment where 
God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has entered into our existence. And now we're not just being told how to live out God's love in the world. Jesus is going to start showing us how to live his love out, God's love out in this world. Now, we're going to be focusing on the life of John the Baptist. Um, and before I jump in, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. Before I jump into that, I want to talk to you a little bit about who John was. So many of you are probably familiar with John the Baptist to some degree. You've probably heard him um, talked about in, uh, in church or maybe just growing up. John's parents were uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a devout priest, and we get a story in Scripture that, that tells us about before John is even born, this encounter that Zechariah has with an angel. And if you haven't read it, you need to go back and look at it because it really kind of has our humanity on full display because Elizabeth was barren, and they wanted a child deeply. And so Zechariah is in the temple, and he has this encounter with an angel, and the angel's like, hey, Zechariah, like, God has heard your call. He has heard the call of your heart, and we are going to bless you with a child. And not only are we going to bless you with a child, but this child is going to go and do amazing things. He's going to fulfill a prophecy from 700 years ago and be the one who paves the path for the Messiah. And so naturally, in true human fashion, Zachariah's like, yeah, right. And the angel's like, no, I'm serious. This is actually going to happen. And then Zachariah ends up going mute, and he's not able to speak until the day of his son's birth, just in time to bestow the name of John on his child. And so while this is an incredible story in its own right, before John's born, rewind a couple months, Elizabeth is pregnant. Now we know Mary is also pregnant. And we, we find in Scripture that at one point, Mary and Elizabeth have a meeting. They were believed to be cousins or some level of blood relatives. And they have this encounter where they come and meet, and both mothers are, are pregnant at the time. And within Elizabeth, John leaps because he senses the very presence of Jesus within Mary before they're even born. And so we see this beautiful connection between these two key characters in our faith story having this deep-rooted connection before they've even entered the world. Now the angel, when she was talking to Zachariah, made it very clear that John was going to be fulfilling this prophecy and he was going to do great things. After the birth of both children, John and Jesus, we don't learn a whole lot about what took place during their lives, during their early lives. Really, what we see is once they hit their, like, 30s and on, that's when we start to find out about their ministries and all that. So there's a lot of unknown. We do know that John, likely his parents, um, passed away early because they were so far along in their years. Um, some scholars believe that John... Um, went on to, to study with a group known as the Essenes. Um, some scholars may, may debate that, but what we do know is that he went and studied and drew closer to God. And so we, we 
come and we meet John and Jesus at the, at the beginning of their ministries. Well, really, John had been kind of working through his ministry at this point. So it's really kind of the, the end point of John's ministry and the beginning of Jesus. And so that's where we find ourselves today in Scripture. So in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, In those days John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with leather belts around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. The exact prophecy that we're referencing here is found in Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 3. So if you ever want to go and look at that, and there's a lot more to the prophecy, but this is the piece that Matthew pulls out for us. Now, what I like about this part of the story is we get a glimpse of who John has become. Now, John didn't look like everybody else. He was wearing camel hair, leather belt. He was bold. He was sharing his message. He was living into that prophecy of crying out. He wanted the people to know what he was there to do the message that he was there to give, he was starting to teach people the importance of readying their hearts for who was to come next. You see, John was different, a little unusual, and when I started kind of wrestling through this, I, I was working with Pastor Scott on trying to figure out like a good way to, to make a modern-day comparison for you all. And uh, Pastor Scott and I started talking about the Asbury Revival. And I don't know how many of you actually heard about it or followed it, but it was this incredible situation that took place where a few college students gathered together to have a worship service, and it just continued and continued and continued. Over the course of two weeks, estimates are in that anywhere between 40 to 50,000 people came through that small town just to have a small experience of what was going on there. And that revival has not stopped there. It has boiled over into other campuses. And what I will tell you is that this past week, I was at a conference in Orlando. About 5,000 different people came together to talk about the, the state of the church, global church, where things were at, what discipleship looks like today, where we need to take it. People from all sorts of different countries. It was incredible. And one of the keynote speakers got up on stage and he started talking about this, this revival that was taking place. And you see, Asbury has taken a lot of flack. There's been a lot of criticism about how it's gone down, things that have been said, maybe who's been doing certain things. And the person who was up on stage for this, for this particular uh, session said, you know what, it's not perfect, but it's something. It's something. And in the world and where we are at today, that something matters. Because people are hungry, and they're hungry for hope. And so I think there is a, a, a beautiful comparison here with John. Because John was speaking a message of hope, 
to a people who had been waiting for 2,000 years. And yeah, he wasn't perfect. Yeah, he was a little eh, odd. Maybe he wasn't exactly what people had expected this person who was going to fulfill this prophecy to look like. But you know what? People were listening and lives were starting to change. In verse 5, it goes on to say, Then the people of Jerusalem and all of Judea were going out to him in all the region along the Jordan. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. This is the epicenter of not just commerce, not just religious pilgrimage, but this is the epicenter of so many significant points in our faith journey. And there's an entire additional sermon that we could talk about, about just that, but just know that this place is not chosen by mistake. In verse 7, it goes on. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You broad of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You see, all these different people are starting to gather, thousands upon thousands, to listen to John's message. To include Pharisees and Sadducees, and in front of all of these people, John is bold enough to call them out and say, you may be welcome here, but know this. Just because you carry the name of Abraham does not mean you are entitled to what is to come. Look at the fruits of your life. What has been the outflow of the life that you have lived? If you are not producing relationships, producing, you're not living into these situations in your life that are reflecting God, then you've missed the point. And so John has essentially put the Pharisees and Sadducees on notice. Now, Matthew doesn't really unpack who else is in the crowd, but Luke does. And for, for the purposes of time, I'm not going to go in too deep into that, but but what we learn from Luke is that there's soldiers present, there's tax collectors present, and there's all sorts of different people. And what Luke tells us is that John takes the next step of trying to explain what's, what's going on and practical steps that people can take to ready their hearts. So he's put the Pharisees and the Sadducees on notice and like, all right, you, got, you need to figure out your deal. But for everybody else, he starts to break it down. And he's like, listen, if you have two coats and somebody doesn't have one, just give it away. Give one away. You don't have to give both of them away. Just give one away. For the tax collectors, just collect what you have to. Don't collect more for yourself. For the soldiers, just do your duty. Don't manipulate people. Don't coerce them into situations that you weren't ordered to do. Just do your jobs and start taking these practical steps to ready your heart in a better orientation. In verse 11 of Matthew, it goes on to say, I baptize you, this is John, with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. 
I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the shaft will burn with an unquenchable fire. When John's talking about carrying the sandals, this was the job of a servant. And it was like one of the lowest of the low jobs for the servants. Feet were unclean. You don't touch feet, you don't, you don't go near them. So for a servant to carry the shoes of somebody, like that was the lowest of the low of the low. And what John is saying is like, hey, for as cool as my story is, and for the, as amazing as the messages that I'm sharing with you, I am not even worthy to carry his sandals. That's how big of a deal the person who's coming after me actually is. The person who is coming after me that we've been talking about and building up to is going to start to make a distinction. He's going to start to draw a line in the sand and make it very clear the ones who understand and the ones who don't. Scripture goes on to now tell us about the baptism of Jesus. So thousands of people have been coming through this place. They've heard John's message. They've been getting baptized. They're flocking to John. They're hungry to understand. And then Jesus enters the scene. Verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Like, wait, 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 wait. I've just been telling all these people what a big deal you are and that I'm not. And now you're coming to me and asking me to, like, we're not talking about carrying sandals, guys. You want me to baptize you? Like, Jesus, hey, like, like I know we're blood. I know we're cousins but I think you're a little, you know, like a little off because this, this doesn't add up. But then Jesus says, Jesus answers him and says, let it be so, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus had been baptized just as he had come up from the water. Suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And the voice of heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. For us. You see, this part of Scripture, while it's so known, and there's nothing wrong with it, but we, we jump to the fact that the, the Trinity is present here, and it, and, it, and it is, and it's this beautiful moment where, where God the Father is speaking down, the Holy Spirit is descending, and, and the Son of God is present, all at the same time, this powerful, powerful moment in our faith story. We know that because of the things that John has done, that we have this beautiful fulfilling of, of prophecy, we have this fulfilling of of um, all the promises that had come before. And while all of that is significant and important, 
the piece that jumped out at me and that I could not stop wrestling with is why Jesus said, for us. You see, Jesus could have just come into that moment and said, hey, I got this, I'm going to go dunk myself. I mean, that would have been a little weird, but, you know, like, he, he didn't necessarily have to include John. You see, John had his story. John had a story that had started 700 years earlier that he was fulfilling. He had his mission, and he was doing his job just fine, and John knew it. But then Jesus comes into the equation and says, you know what, John? I have something more for you. I have something more for you. You see, Jesus offered John the gift of grace. Jesus showed John love by extending an invitation into his story. On his own, John, John wasn't worthy. Yo, he, he acknowledges it himself. He's like, I can't carry his sandals. But with Jesus... John discovers a purpose in God's greater story beyond what he could have ever imagined. And I love how this is such the point in Scripture where we start to see the shift. No longer is God just giving us instructions and we're trying to figure it out. Jesus is starting to model for us exactly what God's love is all about, and he's doing it through relationships. He's doing it through relationships. There's a pastor out um, in California that I started listening to a number of years ago by the name of Erwin McManus. He runs a church called Mosaic in Los Angeles. Um, incredible church, incredible life story. Um, if you ever get the opportunity to, to listen to him or read some of his books, they're, they're truly um, incredible. Recently, he wrote a book called The Genius of Jesus. And it goes through just how truly revolutionary Jesus and everything that he did was. And in the fifth chapter, he breaks down grace and how important grace was to everything that Jesus did. In fact, Irwin goes, goes on to say that like, grace is truly God's masterpiece for humanity. And he says that the thing about grace is that you know it when you see it. And at first, I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I, I, can, I can get behind that. I can, I can see that. Like, if I, if I start looking back at my life, there's these little moments where I'm like, yeah, I could see, you know, my mom showed me some grace when I probably, you know, didn't deserve it. And there's moments when I, you know, extended grace to my cousin, even though I probably didn't need to. Um, you know, and, and when, I, when I think about stuff like my marriage, I went in with an expectation of what grace was going to be. And maybe some of you can, can relate to this, but of all the things that I thought I would battle with my husband over, um, I surprised him with this in the first service, so he, he got to enjoy this too. Um, I never expected that the dishwasher was going to be like the major point of contention in our relationship. Um, uh, I believe it was Jen Lusher who would tell me that this was just a, an example of heated fellowship. Um, but she, so, so for those of you who know me, I'm a little OCD with my dishwasher or just in life. And with the dishwasher, like the plates go in a certain order. You rinse them, you order them by size. The forks and the spoons have a designated spot to go and the cups, 
the cups. Plastic, glass, plastic, glass. It's how you prevent breakage. So like this is not difficult, guys. And my husband and I, both military, both intel officers, and I'm like, this should not be rocket science. And yet, no matter what I do, he cannot figure out this dishwasher thing. And I'm like, all right. And so, you know, we had that heat of fellowship and this goes on and on. And then, and then I start to be like, all right, I got it. This, this is how I'm supposed to show grace. And so then I, you know, I, I'm like, he, he deserves a lot more uh, of, you know, my critiques, but I'm just going to start to let it go and love him through that. And so, okay, this is, this is, this is what grace looks like, right? But you see, when, when I look at John, John was at his best. John was at the absolute pinnacle of his ministry when Jesus came in and extended that grace to him. And the part that I, I would push back on just a little bit to what Erwin McManus said is this. When life is throwing its worst at you, when you are the worst side of yourself, it's really, really, really hard to see grace, and it's even harder to give it. In 2014, my husband and I had been married about a year and a half. Uh, we had both uh, been in the military for some time now. We had both deployed to the Middle East. We had both seen people die and the, this war go on. Um, and it affected us, but in ways that we didn't necessarily want to acknowledge. And in 2014, we had come off those deployments. We had gotten married. We uh, had moved almost immediately, and, and we immediately jumped into all these extracurriculars. And so we were going a million miles a minute. And at some point, my husband gets appendicitis. And we're like, well, this is inconvenient. And so, you know, he goes through the surgery, and it's fine. And the problem is, it brought our life to a screeching halt for two weeks. And something started to change. Something started to change in my husband, and I couldn't quite pinpoint it, and he couldn't either. But he wasn't quite himself. Short time after that, I was cooking dinner, and he was standing to my left, and I, I, was, I was at the stove, and we were having a conversation. I have no idea about what. And the next thing I remember is I look to my left, and he's ghost white, and he starts to collapse. And I'm able, he's, I'm 5'2", he's 6'2", so it wasn't easy for me to get him to the bedroom, but somehow we managed. I found out later that he had had a massive panic attack, and that marked the beginning of a downward spiral. All of that time in the military had finally come to a head. And he was trying to work through it himself, but it, it wasn't enough. And so I was at work one day, and I get a text from, from Wes, and he's like, hey, like, I'm not good. I'm going to see the doc, seeing, you know, seeing if he can help me. And I'm like, yeah, that, fantastic. Like, go get the help you need. I'm here to support you. The next text message I get is they're putting me in an ambulance and they're taking me to the hospital. And at this point, I'm like, wait, 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 what? Like, we, we've had conversations. Like, I, wh why? Like, why or what? And so I'm sitting there processing, trying to figure out what the heck is going on. I rush over to the hospital and I get in there. Now, at the time, I was a military training instructor, like MTI kind of thing. And um, when I entered into that hospital, I started becoming the worst side of myself. 
Because very quickly, my frustration, my concern turned to anger. And I started lashing out at the staff because they would not let me see him. They told me he was in isolation. And not only did that, not only that, but there was a nurse that was having a really bad day and she went so far as to say that he didn't want to see me. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm angry at the staff, I'm angry at my husband, like how, how dare you? How dare you not tell me how bad you were? And now we're in this position and I can't even see you? Like how dare you? And this went on for 12 hours. No answers, me sitting there, and I remember people came to try, try to help and, and, and that was appreciated, but I was so mad and that anger turned to God. Because guys, I had my story. I had my life that was about to start. I had just started in my marriage. So why, God, would you do this now? Well, right about that moment, the shift was changing, and a nurse came out and said, hey, listen, I am not supposed to do this, and I'm not advocating to break rules. But she comes out and she says, hey, you've got two minutes. You have two minutes to go and see your husband because they're about to put him in another ambulance and take him to a psychiatric facility, and I don't know when you're going to see him next. And so as I'm walking down the hallway, I have running through my mind a million things that I want to say to him because of what he has now done to our relationship. And I was so mad. I was truly, in that moment, the worst side of myself. And you know what? Right before I walked into that room, I felt something start to shift in my heart. And when I walked in and I saw him laying there on the, the bed, broken, I told him two things. And there wasn't much else I could find words for. I told him I loved him, and I told him I forgave him. And the only thing he responded with was, I've been asking to see you since I got here. They took him in the ambulance. He went on to the um, psychiatric facility, and they, they got him the help that he needed. And he was only there for a very short time, but his, his, his therapy and um, getting him well took several months after that. And you know how I was telling you how angry I was? Part of the reason I was so angry was because at that moment, I was around six weeks pregnant with our first daughter. And so not only was I angry about like what he was doing to our life, but I was like, you have so much to live for because you have a child on the way. Over the next several months, God started to work in our lives in incredible ways to rewrite our understanding of grace and what it meant. Grace became very, very real for us. Now, some of you who have been married or know people may, may know those like kind of prerequisites to getting married. Those silly conversations you have out of the gate saying like, hey, we can get married, but a lot of times it's church, politics, you know, kind of the, the big hot topics. Well, for my husband, one of those was what we were going to name our first child. I was like, okay. Like, I mean, that's a little weird, but I can get behind it. And so he was like, I, I want to name her Samantha Jade. And I was like, okay, it's, it's a pretty name, not a family name, but all right. 
If that's, if that's the criteria, okay. During that time of healing that both my husband and I walked through, because of the grace that God showed us in our lives, Wes was able to conclude much of his recovery right about the time Sam was born. We had a conversation and said, you know what? Like, God has moved so much in our lives and taught us so much about grace, we need to change her name. And so we named her Samantha Grace. And she is a forever reminder of the magnitude of what God can do in our lives. Because it wasn't our strength that got us through those moments. It was God. It wasn't my strength that gave me the words to say to my husband when he was at his lowest. It was God. As the band comes out here in a moment, um, we're going to be up front for prayer. Um, and we invite you. You know, if there's, if there's anything we can pray with you for, if there's anything we can just stand in a moment with you for, please, please come forward. We would love to have that honor. In the coming weeks, we're going to look at examples of how Jesus models grace. It started here at the baptism, but he goes on to reach into these lives of people who never would have been given the opportunity to not just reach into their lives, but demonstrate true love, grace, and transformation in the power that it can have. Erwin McManus at the end of his book says, are we only to be grateful observers of grace? Or can I come to know God and become an elegant expression of his grace? You see, Jesus coming to us, God entering into humanity, was a father getting down on his knees with his child and saying, let me show you. Let me show you what my love looks like. So I encourage you, look at your lives Look at those God dots along the way where maybe, maybe God has given you a glimpse of that grace. And you all, don't let that grace stop with, with that moment. Grace was designed by its very nature to be an outflow from God through Jesus to us, to the world. Don't let the grace stop with you. Will you pray with me? Father God, Oh, you're such a, such a mighty father, such a faithful father. There's so much you have to teach us, so much you have to show us, and your patience is unfathomable. Unfathom we have messed up time and time and time and time again, and you still show up. And not only do you show up, but you're willing to give your only son to pay for what we could never pay for. Father, teach us to listen, to understand, and to embrace the love that you've given this world. Help us to not just know Jesus and to demonstrate that relationship 
through our family and friends and our neighbors, but teach us to be apprentices of Jesus, to model the life he modeled for us. Because that is how grace can change our world. Amen. I want to invite you guys to stand and sing with us. Um, this is going to be a new song, one that we haven't done before, but the words will be on the screen. It's an easy one. I, I think you guys will pick up on it quick. You met me at my lowest moment You saw me at my very worst When I expected disappointment Love was all I heard My sin was deep your grace was deeper, my shame was wide, your arms were wider, my guilt was great, your love was greater still. You ran to me when I was naked. You clothed me in your righteousness You pulled me from the depths of darkness And into your light again Oh, into your light again My sin was deep Your grace was deeper My shame was wide your arms were wider, my guilt was great, your love was greater still, oh your love, your love, my sin was deep, your grace was deeper, my shame was wide, your arms were wider, my guilt was great, your love was greater still.
grace was deeper my shame was wide your arms were wider my guilt was great your love was greater still There are two things that I'm, I'm going to hold on to from the message today. And so the first is the for us. And uh, when, when John and Jesus meet and Jesus says, this must be done for us to experience all righteousness. Um, I love that God just includes us in what we do. I mean, that's what grace is all about, right? Like if he was done with us, he would have been done with us a long time ago. Amen. And so you see in this picture God taking John's story and making it so much more, and that's exactly what he does for us, that, that for us moment. I think that's so profound. We talked about this scripture a ton, and I didn't even see any of that. That was something way outside of the stuff that we talked about. The second thing is this, is that we need another interest group at this church, and it's about how to appropriately load a dishwasher. Because God is a God of order. And we know that it goes glass, plastic, glass, plastic, knives upside down. Right? You guys all know what I'm talking about? And this is very clear. We need to work this out. This is part of Marriage Counseling 101. Okay, so we can get this all worked out. But um, thank you guys for, for being here. And, um, you know, it, it is not easy to get up and to preach and to share part of your story like that. And can we give Kat a big round of applause? Just so incredible. She's the hardest working communicator I've ever met in my life. And so she's been working super hard and busy all week long doing the rest of her stuff. Um, Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we love you. And as we go from this place, God, I pray that you would lead us, guide us, and allow your spirit to just do something profound in our lives this week. Give us one of those for us moments where we see you taking our story and utilizing it to be a part of the greater story. God, that's how you repurpose, if you will. That's how you transform our lives so that we can be an example to this world, Um, a father that is showing their son, showing their daughter um, how to live. God, transform us and allow us to be those people. God, we love you. We trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And if you're new with us today or you want to find out more about the church, we'll be in the Next Steps room. We'd love to see you. Have a wonderful week.